You are listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. Elder Law Answers is the leading provider of web-based practice development tools for elder law attorneys. We help firms reach clients with tools designed by elder law attorneys for elder law attorneys. I'm Rebecca Hobbs, the National Director of Elder Law Answers and a practicing elder law attorney in the Philadelphia area. In each episode of Elder Law Answers for Attorneys, we will chat with leading experts in the field of elder law, marketing, and practice development. Welcome. Our topic today is conversations elder law attorneys need to be having with our baby boom and Gen X clients. So I'm excited for our guest. So today we have Kathy Shikarski on, and she is a practicing attorney for over 30 years, um, practicing in the area of elder law, um, like the rest of us. And she has had a significant experience um, caregiving for different family members and friends. Um, she's also a frequent guest on radio programs, podcasts, and speaks to promote financial and legal preparation in the aging crisis. So she is an author as well. So Corner Office Books has released Kathy's second book, which premiered as number one on Amazon. Um, The title of the book is Who Moved My Teeth? A Practical and Legal Guide for Adults and Caregivers. She has been featured on Huffington Post, AARP, and is a source for expert um, for the Women's Media Center in WMC in Washington, D.C. So Kathy also serves on the board of directors of Nancy's House, which is a nonprofit which is dedicated to respite care for caregivers. Um, She can also be seen on the Westchester Story Slam YouTube channel um, and has a blog that the title of the blog is You Just Have to Laugh, Where Caregiving is Comedy. So welcome, Kathy, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Rebecca. I'm very excited to be here. There is nothing I really love more than talking to everyone, but even especially lawyers about how we can do our jobs better. Yeah, great. Well, Kathy, in your writing and your blog, you discuss what you call the long-term care crisis, and you talk about this tsunami of legal, practical, financial issues um, that baby boom and Gen X women are facing. So first, what is this long-term care crisis and what's caused this crisis? So the crisis, you, you know, the crisis is, oh my gosh, I'd say twofold, but it's probably 20-fold. The crisis is, is that people don't even know that they're coming into a crisis, which is what happens when a family member and usually a spouse for women, but what happens when a family member becomes so critically ill that they must get some kind of long-term care? whether it be in the home or in an assisted living facility or ultimately in a nursing home facility. Um, People just aren't prepared for that. And of course, as you would agree, I'm sure, Rebecca, we love to stick our head in the sand about this, don't we? Right. right. Nobody thinks they're going to get sick. Um, One of my favorite things is especially, and and this is not a male bashing time. It's just uh, (laughs) they're good at at saying I'm not, men don't think they're going to get sick. They think they're going to die. They're pretty Mm -hmm. much decided that. But the problem is, is that big, ugly, you know, crisis is sitting on the other side of illness. And we are just not prepared for it. And Mm -hmm. you just have to know that it's coming. And you have to know, from our point of view, what's legally necessary for when it comes. Because wouldn't it be great if it never came and you were prepared Mm -hmm. anyway? Right, right, right. 
Yeah. Now, why? So let's talk about that. Let's talk about preparation and um, this tsunami that you talk about. So break down these these issues. So you talk about the legal issues, practical, financial. Break that down for us, and let's let's talk about some of those. I would love to. So how I like to do this when I do my presentations, and I spend ninety nine percent of my time now speaking. That's what I really do. Um, I I speak to groups, I speak to professionals, I speak to whoever will listen to me. And the first thing I do is, from a legal standpoint, is you've got to have your tools. Nobody goes to work without their toolbox. You know, a carpenter doesn't go to work without his toolbox. A filmmaker doesn't go to work without his toolbox. We all need our tool box, right? That's mm-hmm. what we have. And so <clears throat> every person, every person 18 years or older should have these next tools in their toolbox, which you and I are really familiar with, mm-hmm. but right. the common man is not. And the reason I say 18 years or older, I, when my kids went to college, I made mm-hmm. them sign a power of attorney because right. I didn't, they're adults at 18, you're an adult, right? And I didn't want a college telling me that they wouldn't talk to me either about their financial issues or their healthcare issues, especially because my kids were going far away. I couldn't drive to where they were Mm -hmm. in a reasonable period of time. So that's why I say there's no person on the planet 18 years or older who shouldn't have these documents, even if it's simple to the complex. So what are they? Number one, of course, the durable financial power of attorney, right? Mm hmm. Everybody needs to have that because you don't know what's going to happen to you. It can happen to a perfectly healthy person tomorrow that you walk out the street, get hit by a bus, and you cannot handle your financial affairs, even if it's just temporary. Who's going to do that for you, right? Mm -hmm. And and you know who's going to do it for you if you don't have the power of attorney. Who's going to do it for you? A guardian. Right. (laughs) And nobody wants that. Nobody really truly wants that. And people don't even know about that. That's our specialized knowledge. But the Mm -hmm. common man doesn't know that that's the next step. But in Pennsylvania and in long-term care issues, these documents are even more critical because of the rules that we have about, which we'll get into maybe a little bit later and we'll stick with the tools. But you know what I'm I'm leaning to, I'm sure, about gifting and beneficiary designations and things like that, right? They become even more critical tools for the people that we're talking about, the Gen Xers and the baby boomers. So, okay, let's say we have our financial power of attorney, which, you know, I always tell people, here's the 30 second definition. It's a document you give to someone to act as if they are you. It's a very powerful tool, very powerful. So Mm -hmm. you have to choose wisely. And then the second thing, of course, is what we call the healthcare power of attorney. Other people call a healthcare directive. Other people call, oh my God, how many names of of a healthcare power of attorney are there, Rebecca? There are a lot. (laughs) Right? So many. Um, And it confuses people because they think they need Mm -hmm. 10 different things. Right. But they just need one thing that says somebody can make my healthcare decisions, you know? Mm -hmm. And the other thing that that we don't explain well enough, I think, to our clients is, is that they don't have to be the same person. Right. You can have a healthcare power of attorney who's your son and a financial power of attorney who's your daughter, right? Right. Right. Yeah. And I think you hit on a good point about the age of preparing because, you know, as attorneys, we know how important it is, you know, at the age of 18 to have these documents, regardless of if there's any health crisis or any, you know, concerns just at the age of 18, how important it is to have these documents. But as attorneys, as elder law attorneys, how do we educate our clients and the public on 
preparing because a lot of people don't think about these issues until they're significantly older and they're looking at it more for planning for their parents or planning right. for their grandparents. So they come into our office in a crisis for their parents or grandparents, right? <laughs> right. Their aunt, their sick, their sick uncle who had a brain injury because he fell down the stairs, right? That's what happened. Exactly. Yeah. That's our, that is our, you know, I almost want to sing like the angels. Oh, you've now come in <laughs> and guess what? We're going to talk to you about doing this for you. Right. Because we're going to do all this stuff because you've realized you have a crisis. But you know what we could have done to prevent this crisis for your uncle or aunt is we could have done it early. So guess what? Now that you see the value of this, we're going to talk about after we're done taking care of your crisis, how are we going to prepare this for you? And that's unfortunately a one person at a time game. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. However, which is why I'm out there talking to everybody. I talk to a lot of groups in assisted living facilities, in conferences about, you know, being caregivers, but I always say to them, and by the way, have you done this for yourself? Mm -hmm. So there's our opportunity. And I don't know what you think. Do you think we miss that opportunity as a, as a, you know, as a bar, as a, as a provider of this service? Cause I think we do. Yeah, I agree. You know, I think that we get so focused on servicing the need right in front of us that we mm -hmm. sometimes miss that opportunity to educate the others that are in the room on the need for them to have those documents, as well as, like you said, having that conversation about, you know, if you hear a story about them saying their child is going off to college in the fall, you know, taking right. that time to explain the need for those documents to right. them as well. Right. So this is pervasive. It can go, you know, it's not just um, you're, I'm here taking care of your mother or your grandmother, but I'm here talking to you about your issues because you're probably a, a grown parent with children who are growing up. But if do you have college age children? Because we should really be talking about that as well. And then, mm -hmm. of course, we're not even just talking about hours of attorney. We're also talking about advanced directives. Right. That's mm -hmm. the next step, which I know a lot of attorneys, and I think it's great, include that in their healthcare power of attorney, but some don't. So it just depends how you, you know, process those documents. Um, right. But it's another document. And the reason, and, and the reason I love that advanced directive is not for the reason that everybody thinks. It's, it's great that you have this advanced directive and you tell people what you want to happen if you get into a permanent vegetative state and all of that mm -hmm. is wonderful. And it should be done. But I love it for this reason. Because when someone is in a permanent vegetative state, I can guarantee you that thousands of relatives who you've <laughs> never talked to in a million years are going to come out of the woodwork and have an right. opinion about what you <laughs> should do with grandma on a ventilator. Right? Right. Yes. And, and it shuts it down. Because mm -hmm. if you are kind enough to give that document to, to your surrogate and say, this is my decision. All they have to do is stand up in that hospital and say, I'm not making this decision. I didn't decide this. And as a matter of fact, I might not even agree with this decision, but grandma decided this and we're going to do what grandma wants. Right. And it takes the heat off of that person in charge because they're not really making the decision. And then the discussion is shut down. Right. Right. That's why I love it. Yeah, and people don't like that document, but I think it's because they don't understand it. But what do you think? Yeah, and I was actually going to bring up a point too on I think the one of the reasons that people don't 
plan and don't prepare. Um, you know, part of it, I think, is the education and making sure people understand what they need to have um, as far as documents. But I think the other portion of that is just fear of planning. Um, and, you know, occasionally I'll get the client who is convinced that if they sign these documents that when they walk out of my office, they're going to get hit by <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And I think there's this fear um, of that. There's also a fear of giving up control um, and a fear of facing these decisions as well. Uh, I, I think that's a really good point. And I would say that that fear of giving up control is huge. But I think it's critical for us to explain to our clients that you don't have to hand this power of attorney over to, to the person you've chosen and say, OK, now you're in charge. You can right. go home and put that in your fireproof box and nobody even needs to know it's there until they need it. It's a necessary document, but it doesn't have to be. And I'm not talking about making it a springing power of attorney. I'm saying make right. it effective right now. But they don't. If, if you're a perfectly healthy person, nobody has to step in and start making decisions for you. It is a it is a just in case document, right? Right. Um, right. And so I think they sometimes don't even understand that part. But and of course, as you you know intimated earlier, most people are coming to us in a crisis. It's yeah. like, can I even? get them to sign a power of attorney? Are they right. competent right. to sign a power of attorney? Right. Yeah. Um, and we didn't even really, you know, move on to that guardianship discussion, which is just also, you know, it's funny. I think we are a fear-based practice. Right. <laughs> so you're right. Oh, I agree. Yeah. People are afraid to do what we want them to do, but nonetheless, I think I almost always have to scare them into doing it. <laughs> right. 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 Because guardianship is the next scary thing. Mm -hmm. And I want them to understand that this is the step that will have to be taken if you don't take these steps yourself right now. And if you've right. a lot of times you have people coming into your office who are, you know, in their 50s and 60s <clears throat> and they have made wills out. And that's our next topic of conversation in our toolbox. Yep. They've made these wills out where they have guardians for their children, right? Because mm -hmm. they got scared thinking, oh my God, I have this beautiful, wonderful <laughs> baby. I love her so much. What if something happens to us? I want to decide who takes care of her, not anybody else. So right. I say to them, it's the same deal. You're deciding yeah. who takes care of you. Right, right. Not the court. Yeah. Now let's also talk about, so it's not only important to have these documents in place. So the power of attorney, the advanced directive, living will, but also it's so important what goes in these documents. Oh and my God. Yes. I mean, every state is different, but in Pennsylvania, let's talk a little bit about examples of some of that important language that needs to be in those documents. So the two things <clears throat> that I never fail to speak about, regardless of who, who my audience is, an audience of one or an audience of 200 and, and you know, how they got there is mm -hmm. the gifting issue. Because right. in Pennsylvania, that is so critical. And if that is missed, and it is missed by attorneys who are not elder lawyers, you know, and who don't understand how we deal with gifting in a long-term care situation. Um, and especially between spouses, if you right. have limited gifting or no language about gifting and, and I, you know, I don't know if we'll get to this in this conversation or the next one, but, um, you can 
set up your spouse to quite frankly be destitute, right? Mm -hmm. In a long-term care situation. Right. So gifting language in Pennsylvania is critical, critical language that has to be understood. And the second thing, and I know we have all those hot powers um, that, you know, there's what, I don't even know how many of them, 12, 15, whatever. Right. Um, and some of them don't apply to most people, to be honest with you, they really don't. But, th but the other one is the beneficiary designation authority, the, the capability of changing that. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know about you, but I have had on more than one occasion, a client uh, come in and tell me, you know, my husband was married. I'm his second wife. He was married 25 years ago to, you know, Ruth. And um, he forgot to change his life insurance policy at work. And now he's in a nursing home and he's incompetent. And uh, Ruth is the beneficiary of his. Right. What do I do? And <clears throat> I'm like, well, unless your power of attorney gives you the the uh, authority to change that beneficiary designation, you better become best friends with Ruth. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's your only option. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I think it's so important for attorneys to be aware, you know, in Pennsylvania, we have very specific language regarding gifting that needs to be in the documents and beneficiary language, you know, in each state is going to have these different nuances when it comes to the documents of what needs to be in them. And it's so important as elder law attorneys to make sure that we're really familiar with these rules and how they play out and can advise our clients on making sure that that specific language is in there um, so they can do the proper planning when that and, time comes. And this is a, a, a classic example of a case-by-case -case basis, don't you think, where mm. you can't you can't have a, a vanilla power of attorney, right? Right. Because of because of Pennsylvania's requirement of these, you know, specific language uh, things concerning things like gifting, and beneficiary designation and trusts and whatever, you have to really dig a little deeply into who your client is, how their their uh, finances are set up, what their kind of medical situation is like, what is it that they're seeing uh, for the future, at least as much as you can, you know, none of mm -hmm. us can, can look into a crystal ball. But right. that's really important, you know, and knowing even their family situation, you know, if they have if they're picking a power of attorney and it's somebody either who lives far away or quite frankly has some kind of a health issue or is not, you know, going to be available to them, that might not be the person that you want in charge of gifting. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. So it makes our job much more personalized. It has to be that way. That's how I feel about it. Right. Right. Now, I mean, we talked a little bit about the advanced directive as well and kind of the interplay of all these different documents that relate to healthcare. There's DNR orders, there's post, yeah. um, and, and other states may have some other things as well. So how do we, you know, this challenge of not only educating the client on all these other documents out there, but also the when those documents are actually put into force and they're, you know, interplaying with one another yeah. and with the healthcare industry, what tips do you have for, you know, people out there wow. on, on that situation? Rebecca, that's a really good question. A really good question. I would say the first thing you need to do, especially if your family members in a facility, you need to talk to the administrators about what are their standards for documents that they want or require. Because that post, for example, usually comes from 
a facility. Um, you know, that's that hot pink form. I don't, I don't know if our listeners are familiar with it, but it basically right. acts as a um, sort of a sort of a between a living will and a health care directive, doesn't it? It's kind of a an unusual form, but it has to be signed by a doctor, and right. it basically uh, puts it into effect and it stays into effect. Um, I I like it sometimes. Sometimes I don't like it. But the, the but the question that you asked me is, what tips would you give our clients? Is especially if your client, if your loved one is in a facility, you need to talk to the administrators there about how they're dealing with advanced directives, um, posts, uh, living, you know, living wells, whatever. We're, when they're in place, do you send them with the ambulance? Do you make sure that people know about what's going on? And then in the alternative, if your loved one is at home with you, you have to continue to have conversations with your elder attorney about mm -hmm. what documents are available and how we can use them and where we keep them in case of an emergency. Right, right. Now let's just touch a little bit on a will. And okay, yes. that, that last kind of document that we need to touch on, which I feel like most of our clients are, when they come to us, the will is the document that they're familiar with. They understand that. Right. Um, but there's a lot of misconceptions around wills as well. There's a couple misconceptions. The biggest one that I, I tell to people is take it out of your underwear drawer where you put it 30 <laughs> years ago when your kids were 5 and 10 who are now 35 right. and 40. <laughs> and revisit your will. Things have changed. Things change. You mm -hmm. may hate your daughter-in-law. You know, I don't know what your situation <laughs> is, but things have changed. Somebody may have died. Somebody got divorced. Right. You know, you have to. So the first thing I tell them is you got to look at this every five years because things mm -hmm. change. The second right. thing is, is yes, you have to have it. You have to have it. Again, you, you're deciding what, where your stuff goes. Um, mm -hmm. And, and third, I I would say um, you have to keep it updated and remember that your circumstances may change. But I guess, and fourth is just because you make a will doesn't mean you're going to die. <laughs> In fact, right. That puts you ahead of the curve. So congratulations. <laughs> um, and I, I found too, and again, this planning different state by state, but yeah. another another area that I feel that clients just have this misconception is how the will operates. You know, they think that the will is kind of the only part of the estate plan oh, upon so, passing I'm away. So, yes, I'm so glad you said that because my biggest conversation, which is kind of a, a backpedal here, which is um, often people will say to me, oh, I'm my mom's executor. I don't need any other documents. And I <laughs> right. tell them powers of attorney are for live people and wills are for dead people. I, I, I right. say that bluntly because people, in fact, I wrote a little poem, POA alive today. Once you pass away, only an executor can play. I love it. <laughs> it's in my book. So, you know, if you, if you get my book, you'll see it. But but the point of that is, is that people have that huge misconception that a will handles everything. You're right. And then there's that whole non-probate property, right? Mm -hmm. That they think yeah. they, they don't understand, which goes back to oh, what a big circle goes back to that beneficiary designation issue we were talking about. Right. Because we've yeah. super changed every the way we invest in things, which will be our next conversation, I'm sure. Um, yeah. But that's really critical because that might not be happening in the will and you might not be making um, uh, arrangements for that the way you think you are. 
Great. Well, Kathy, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation on the different tools that we need to kind of plan for that long-term care crisis. Um, And I know that we're going to have you again on our next episode where we're going to kind of delve into some other topics related um, to the same issue and same concerns. But if people want to reach out to you, if they want to connect with you, read your blog, um, how, how can they reach you? So uh, kathysikorsky.com is my is my blog and it also will lead you to my speaker site because I spend most of my time speaking and would love to speak with where anybody would like to have me. Um, and my you can certainly get me at my Gmail, kathy.sikorsky at gmail.com. Um, and I am always wanting to talk to everyone about these issues because they're super critical and we've got lots to offer in the world of education. I love my elder lawyer community. (laughs) Great. Well, thank you all for listening to Elder Law Answers for Attorneys. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share it with a friend or a colleague. Please subscribe on iTunes and find all of our past episodes at podcast.elderlawanswers.com. See you next time.